Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Torsky Tuesdays. We are starting episode 33. I am your host, Hanan Abraham, and we are in the middle of the ability to have purpose. Last time we talked about the personal purpose, and you could have two different surgeons that what would be considered the right thing to be doing and how they go about the process more importantly than the outcome. We will continue now with family goals. This will be a little bit shorter today. So um, page 92, family goals. Just as it is important for each of us to have a goal and a purpose, it is also important that we help our children understand that they too have a value and a meaning. And that part of life is finding their own purpose. I think that's something that's some, uh, constantly misconstrued, at least in my office. I could say constantly parents being upset that their kid doesn't want to play that sport or their kid doesn't want to take that class as an extracurricular class. And I constantly remind parents, and I do this as a parent as well for myself, the concept of being able to see that their purpose is their own purpose. And it's not about what I think and what I, what I would think would be the right thing to be doing. Because every situation is different. And the child is given to us to care for, but not necessarily should we ever be living vicariously through our child. And that purpose is something that they have to see on their own. Our job is to support them and find and help them find what it is. But it has to be something that comes from them. A 31-year-old man named Herbert once consulted with me with the following problem. I must have been born under a lucky star because my success in business has been extraordinary. It's not because I'm so bright. I was just an average student. It's that profitable deals that just seem to fall on my lap. My business requires me to travel in the fast lane. Golf outings, country clubs, private planes, and such. I associate with people who have made it financially, and I have kept pace. But believe me, this kind of living is not what I see as my goal in life. I think I can't prevent myself from being allowed, from being swallowed up by this lifestyle, but I have small children. They are going to grow up witnessing all of this. How do I convince them that this lifestyle is not the measure of happiness? Should I sell my business at home and move to a less affluent neighborhood? My counsel to Herbert was that there was no need to trade down for a less affluent environment if if he talked to his children about meaningful values, if the ambiance in his home prevailed over the materialistic lifestyle, if he and his wife related the utmost consideration for each other, and if they honored and respected their own parents. Additionally, if they included their children in their charitable activities, if he showed restraint when provoked, if he could be humble in spite of his economic success, in other words, if he practiced the components of spirituality that we have been talking about in this, in this entire series and in this book, when there is a concept of being able to be having purpose, a greater good more than just ourselves, you can live an affluent life. You can live a very comfortable private jet-setting type life with amazing vacations and restaurants and clothes. But it, there needs to be a purpose. 
the components of spirituality needs to be put into place. The attitude in the home would foster spirituality in the children by example. I think all these different examples that he gave are so important. I think the two I want to focus on, especially for situations where people are living above the norm, and you could take that to mean whatever you want, because above the mo- n- above the norm is different in different societies, different cultures, different neighborhoods, different countries, and different religions. So let's just talk about one for a second here that he related to his wife with utmost consideration for each other. So him and his wife conversed in a way where there was respect. There was possibly even love that was shown, and the kids saw that. That's so important in so many different ways. I think about having an opportunity to grow up with a few grandparents, not all grandparents, but growing up with a, with a few grandparents and marrying into a family where there were grandparents as well. Being fortunate to see the affection between the grandparents, that they loved each other. You know, after a Holocaust, a lot of people were marrying for the sake of marrying, whether it's because they lost spouses, they didn't know if other people survived, or whatever the case may be. People did that because they wanted to be in the family-type setting. So therefore they married. So growing up in homes, both my wife and I, with situations where we did feel that our grandparents loved each other, let alone our parents, I think that goes a very, very long way when you have an opportunity to see the next generation. Now, I know I'm talking over here about affluence, so, so to speak, but I think there was a lesson that it was, it was so prevalent in my house where that love and affection was there constantly. And nothing to do with you know things that we had or didn't have, but that goes such a long way for what the value of what kids can see. And the other thing over here that they talk about, which is not something done often, and I'm curious what other people say of how this can work and how this can be something, because we want to shelter our kids, we want to be able to be proper parents to our kids, expose them to the right things and the right situations. So how do you go about including children in charitable activities? but also not showing your affluent bank account. And I think that could be a very tricky slope. And I don't think it's necessarily as much to do with the amount of money that's given, but the charitable activities, which you know, the words that's chosen here by Dr. Torsky, I think could go a very long way. Let's say there's a home that you visit on the way home from your house of worship. Or let's say there's a person that you know is going to be at a certain store every time you go to that store on Monday morning? How are you helping that person? Are you stopping your car to help that woman cross the street to put the groceries in her car? When you're out with your friend or when you're out with your son and you have a height advantage over the lady that's in the aisle trying to reach something, are you are you offering your assistance without even being told because you're seeing that th- that there's an issue with what she's trying to get? That's what I think it means by charitable activities. When your child sees you acting in a way that would be beneficial towards others, that's what we're talking about over here. I think the other part of here, just to talk about one more, which they're sort of go hand in hand, that it's showing restraint when when provoked and being humble in spite of economic success. 
those are things that are talked about um, throughout throughout the centuries by many sages regarding how to live a successful life. And when a person is humble, when a person knows where he's come from, meaning earth, and where he's going back to earth, and knowing that everything else in between is not important. That could go such a long way with how to be living life. And I know sometimes money could really get in the way of, of relationships and stuff. I might have even said it here. I think I did say it here a little while ago, but I think it's still a, a worthwhile story to say over how there's a very, very wealthy man. I think his last name with, uh, was uh, Rothschild that died and left over two wills. One will was to be was to be opened up right before his burial. And in that will, it said, whatever I want, whatever I have, I asked one thing of you guys to say, says to his kids, please make sure I'm buried in my favorite pair of socks. And they take it to the rabbis and the other people that were involved in the burial. And they said, absolutely not. You're not allowed to wear anything. You're, there's a special garb to be wearing when you're put into the ground. And that's all, the only thing we're going to allow your father to be married. And as much as they tried, they were not able to bury him with the socks that he wanted. And when they opened up the second will, he said some amazing words in there to his kids. Again, remember, this is a very, very wealthy person who would be even more wealthier than in in today's times. This is decades ago, if not a century ago by now. He said, as by now you know that I was not able, you guys were not able to bury me with my favorite pair of socks. And that's because nothing that you make on this world comes with you into the next world. So do me a favor, please, and do not fight over my money. And I think that's a valuable lesson to realize, you know what, really, nothing happens. Nothing sort of gets in the way of what, of what it is that we need to do, which is focus on our spirituality aspect of stuff. And I think that could go a very long way when we have that. So finishing up over here. I once participated in a tribute event for a group of volunteers who donated several hours a week to spend time with shut-ins, driving them to the, to the supermarket or doctor's office or playing a game with them. The theme of the evening was doing good versus feeling good. The theme stayed with me in my later work with drug addicts. Yes, I know the concept of, and I think we also have to talk about this as well, the concept of being a drug addict. It's, not so, it's considered controversial nowadays, and I disagree with that, and I happen to like that Dr. Torsky uses the word addict because it's taking ownership for about the things that you're going through. It doesn't make you a bad person by being an addict. It makes you a bad person by not dealing with your addiction, knowing that you have a problem. I saw the addicts were totally absorbed with feeling good. They had no other interest or pursuits in life. Happens to be a great book by Dr. Burns called Feeling Good. Goes through the from cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, one of the most famous books probably um, in the past fifteen twenty years on on self help. Highly recommended. Really good book. I felt that if we could get people more involved in doing good, we might make progress in curtailing the drug abuse epidemic. One evening, I met with a group of parents whose children were in treatment for drug abuse, and I conveyed to them my idea that if they dedicated their families to doing good. Rather than just feeling good, they could exert an influence on their children that would lessen their likelihood for future drug use. The following morning, the therapist said to me, you made a strong point with the parents last night. After you left, them, after you left I heard them say, Dr. Torsky is right. We have to get after our kids to do some volunteering. 
Unfortunately, the parents had not heard my message. You don't get after your kids to do volunteering. You do it yourself. And then there is some chance that your kids will emulate you. Establishing spirituality as a family goal and living spiritually will encourage children to do likewise. So I think that's what he means by being in, included the children in the charitable activities, as we said at the top of page 93. That's exactly what we're talking about. You do something, the kids will follow in your, in your footsteps. When they see something being done and you keep your cool, you bite your tongue, so to speak, that could go a very, very long way. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. We just finished recording number 33. God willing, next time we will continue the ultimate goal, the bottom of page 93. Please reach out with any questions, concerns, or comments. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. You can reach me at koshercounseling at gmail.com.